evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, Matt, how you doing tonight, hey, brother? Hey, man. I'm good. Good. I'm good. Good, good. I'm pretty much fully healed and strong like bull tonight. <laughs> strong so, like bull. Strong like bull. So, <laughs> sorry. It, it's been kind of a, a good day today. Yeah. Um, we just got done recording our first Patreon episode ever. That's right. So we're we're in good voice because we've warmed up. Absolutely. So, or that could mean we're in bad voice. I don't know. Yeah, but if let, you hear my voice crack. Yeah, let's Sorry. hope it's the the previous one that our voices are nice and warmed up. Um, but that being said, if you want to check it out, our what we did is we went and we did personal stories. We you know kind of explained some things that led up to us starting graveyard tales yeah. and stuff that's happened to us over the years and all that. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff then hop over to, to Patreon, give us a donation, and it will be up within, I don't know, a week or so, something like that. You know, got to get it edited, get it popped up there. Yep. Um, so go check that out. we'd appreciate it. Yeah, very much so. Um, another thing is, don't forget to go to our website and check out our website on all the episodes because we have pictures that will go up for each episode, like the Flatwoods Monster that we did and stuff like that. We've got the pictures of that creature up there with the episode. So go check it out if yeah. you want to see what we're talking about. Um, we also got our little book club thing where we recommend, you know, a book a month for you. We've got a link where you can go purchase it on Amazon if you like that book. Um, so go check it out. We've got one up now. Um, also, we rolled out our new logo. Oh, yeah. So it's it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sorry. You know, I get to be excited about it, too, because when, when Adam and I first saw the initial sketch of this, we were both like, oh, yeah, that uh-huh. that's going to that's gonna be cool. We had no idea how how awesome Darren would make these things right. look. Right. I mean, when we got the final one, I was like, Dad, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Jaw <laughs> hit the floor with how awesome that is. So y'all y'all are probably looking at it right now as yeah. you're listening Uh listening to it because it's going to be our audio boom artwork and each episode and all that stuff um darren's contact information will actually be in the show descriptions down at the bottom um where you can go get in touch with him um he'll be there along with uh brandon who does our intro yeah and outro music and i don't think we've ever mentioned brandon on here and we should um but brandon is the one that did our intro and outro and if you're interested he does enjoy working with people so hit him up you know you can listen to some of his stuff on soundcloud and all that and see if you like it um hit him up if you got anything that needs a song uh, if you got anything that needs artwork hit up darren um they're both good buddies of ours and they're both very talented yeah absolutely um, on that note, we've now got this new logo on merch. So go to our website, click on the the store tab and go over and buy you a new Graveyard Tales Skull Mike logo something. Yeah. Anything. Um, we have stuff on the way ourselves. Um, yeah. 
So we'll be sporting those new t-shirts very soon. Before we get into tonight's uh, topic, let's go ahead and take a quick potty break. And tonight's promos are Secret Transmission Podcast and Into the Portal. This is the Secret Transmission Podcast. We are a podcast about the strange and unusual, the secret and the conspiracies, the fringe and the supernatural. We're a podcast that talks about weird things like number stations, the Bermuda Triangle, the Salem Witch Trials, time travel, the moon landing, the Zika virus, serial killers, cults, the deep web, UFOs, superstitions. We cover it all. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Secret Transpod, at S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-P-O-D. Come listen to us try to explain the unexplainable. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at IntoThePortal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? All right, Matt, so... Explain to everybody what we're doing tonight. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we asked uh, our listeners to submit their own stories with a twist. We asked that uh, you guys record your own, and we we got some pretty good ones, and we're going to share those with everybody tonight, and we're going to let them tell you their story in their own words. And then Adam and I are going to discuss a little bit about, you know, what we heard. Right. So um, just uh, just sit back and enjoy this one. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun for us, too. So who we got up first is Desdemona. So let's hear from Desdemona. Hi, Graveyard. I'm Desdemona. I'm going to tell you the story of... The night I went and watched the first paranormal activity in the theater. So at this time in my life, I lived with my husband, a roommate, my brother, and my brother's kids. There were a lot of us and we lived in small town, Texas, away from anything. It took us about 45 minutes to get to the closest theater worth going to and the road to get to that theater is like super straight super boring a good chunk of it doesn't even have street lights so we watch the movie and head back home and of course that super long super straight road with no street lights on it seems a lot creepier after you just watched a horror movie. When we get to the house, the one street light that's positioned directly across from the driveway is out. We are a little creeped out by this, not because it's 
coincidental or anything. Just we've been thinking creepy things, talking about creepy things on the way. We just watched a creepy movie. Now it's really, really dark. And we're overly afraid for no reason. Completely ridiculously, we all get out of the car at the exact same time and run into the house because we just can't stand being out in the dark for one more minute. We all go to bed. Everything's normal. We definitely took a minute to laugh at how ridiculous we were for all running into the house at the same time. And then just go to sleep. About an hour after going to sleep, I'm completely out cold and I feel my husband behind me shake me to wake me up and as soon as I open my eyes instead of turning to see what he wants I see what he's freaking out about right in front of my eyes. So our bedroom door opens directly into the kitchen but because our house is really old that door didn't latch and so the door is sitting a few inches open just a little crack and that crack is directly in front of my face what I see as soon as I open my eyes is my niece who's like eight years old standing, looking right at me, just like the woman in the movie. I'm frozen. My husband's completely spooked, obviously. He woke me up because he's he's noticed this. And once I get my senses a little bit, I realize that she's always been a sleepwalker. So I muster courage and I get up and um, calmly tell her hey let's go back to bed and she turns to start walking and instead of walking towards her bedroom she walks to the living room and whatever it's like two in the morning at this point I don't care where the kid sleeps so I walk with her she gets to the living room and she sits on the couch in the fetal position and starts crying and rocking back and forth which anytime that she'd ever slept and sleepwalking in the past she she did do crying and stuff like that so this is all something I had experienced before did not make it any less creepy thanks for listening to my story nothing spooky actually happened but it is pretty funny Oh, and on a side note, she's now a senior in high school and she gets a complete kick out of knowing how much she scared the crap out of us when she was a kid. All right. Thank you, Desdemona, for that story. That right there just explains why I think children are creepy. (laughs) Yeah, y'all should have seen Adam's face when he's doing this. He's like, oh, God, kids. Yeah, fucking kids, man. See, and sometimes I think they know they're doing that crap. And they're doing it intentionally to screw with you. Well, hey, look, Piper, my six-year-old, has learned that her dad is uh, easily startled. 
I, I have a really hyper startle reflex. Mm-hmm. So if you if you hide behind a door or around a corner and I don't know you're there and you jump out, chances are I'm going to scream right. when it happens. I just I can't help it. It's just a reaction. So she has started doing this. And the other day, uh, I'm trimming my my mustache <laughs> in the bathroom and I'm standing in front of the mirror. The razor is at my lip. You know, I'm 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 shaving down the walrus and she comes around the corner and ah, and I mean I was this close to having a an Adolf Hitler stash. <laughs> I mean it was that close. So yeah, so kids kids get into this and when they when they figure out that they can do it, they do it. And I can't even count the number of times that I have woke up in the night with one of my children standing right beside the bed looking at me, mm-hmm. just standing there. And I mean, if you have kids, I guarantee you they've done it, so you know what I'm talking about. It absolutely will scare the living crap out of you. Yep, see, the, you know, it's it's a, it's surprising to me that more kids hadn't been punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but you jump out at me like that or, or something, I'm going to swing. You know, I'm not thinking you're a tiny human. I'm thinking, oh, crap, yeah. you know, and then you get punched and then I feel bad. But, you know, all right. So let's get into our next story. Um, our next story is from Scott. About three years ago, uh, my girlfriend and I took a trip out to Washington, D.C., and along the way, we stopped at a few places. Well, one of the places we stopped at was uh, Sharpsburg, Maryland, uh, side of the Antietam battlefield. And the minute I got into town, I started getting really bad headaches and there was kind of like a, a heaviness feel to the air. And once we got out to the battlefield, it was really worse for me. Um, we we toured the battlefield. And when we got to Bloody Lane, it was the weirdest thing. Um, the wind had been blowing all day and birds were chirping and everything. But when we got to Bloody Lane, there was no wind blowing and no animals had made any noises whatsoever. And while I was standing there in the lane looking around, I just got this overwhelming feeling of sadness. You know, I I, I felt personally myself that I was trapped under some bodies and I was afraid that nobody was going to find me. And once we left town, we were fine. Well, when we got to D.C. that day, uh, the next day, we went to Ford's Theater. And, you know, for me, studying the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln, uh, this was like the one place I wanted to attend or wanted to visit. Well, while we, we were the first tour group to go through that morning and Across the street from Ford's Theater is the Peterson house where Lincoln died. Well, it, it was standing there waiting with the group, and it, it just felt like there was like a nervous energy, like people were waiting to hear what was going on or excited about something. And I really didn't pay much attention to it. But when uh, when we went through the tour of Ford's Theater, you know, we went down into the basement and saw the museum. We went up on the floor and I just kept looking up at and when we got up into the theater, I kept looking at the box where Lincoln sat and it it was just 
you know, just kind of fascinating for me to be there. Well, the park service guy gave his little speech and then we got to explore the theater a little bit. And I went upstairs to the balcony. Well, I something was catching my attention. So I started. I went back to the staircase. I walked along the back balcony and I just felt like. Being nervous about something. I was nervous. You know, I kept feeling like kept feeling like this was supposed to be my moment. This, you know, I was nervous. I was excited. There was all these different emotions and I was trying to figure it out. And as I looked out to the theater, sometimes I, I don't know if you guys had covered it, but sometimes it felt like I was looking back on that night that Lincoln was assassinated and it really didn't dawn on me until I got to the door that was leading through the short hallway to the box where Lincoln sat in some way I might have been connecting with the spirit of John Wilkes Booth that night and experiencing his feelings about the assassination and everything that he was going to do so uh, I just wanted to share my stories and you guys do a great show. I enjoy listening to it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Scott. Man, uh, yeah, that, that story touched a nerve with me. And I think what uh, the reason it did is because I've had similar situations happen to me where I, I go to a location. I'm not really expecting anything to happen. Um, I'm just kind of there and I feel an energy that, I can't explain and that most people around me don't feel. And I've mentioned that I had a friend whose dad was, um, was a medium essentially, you know, he could read, he could read tarot cards and he told fortunes and read palms and whatnot. And when I was about 17, he told me, and this was, you know, after an event, he had told me that, that I was essentially a sensitive, you know, I, you know, and I, and I could do with it what I chose to do, but you know, I, I haven't, you know, I've, I've always been more in tune with, with things of, uh, you know, maybe a spiritual nature, um, where, where I may feel something or notice something that other people in the room don't. And, and I've had that same experience, Scott, I've, I've had that feeling of that heaviness or, or dread at a, at a certain location. Uh, especially if I'm, if I'm somewhere that has a, a, a negative energy associated with it. And, you know, the assassination of president Lincoln is, that's pretty doggone negative. Right. So, um, so I, I know exactly where you're coming from and you might, you might be, you know, more sensitive than somebody else too. And, and if you've had other experiences, um, then I'd say, you know, sure you, you probably are, but that, that sensation that there's something there that may be trying to communicate with you, maybe trying to just let you know that it's there. You know, you, you get that. It's something more than just the hair standing up on your neck. Right. It's it's I, I've, I feel a presence and and it leaves when you leave that spot. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Scott was saying, when he got. When they left town, it went away. The headaches went away and, and that stuff. I've, I've had 
I don't know. I wouldn't even begin to count, you know, how many times that's happened to me. Um, I've had it happen in numerous houses that I've lived in, um, mostly around one particular location. In fact, I was at my parents' house um, just uh, just a few weeks ago and and had an experience very similar where I just I, I felt. I felt an energy just around me to the point where I had to stop what I was doing. And I was so aware of it. I mean, it was almost like somebody had just called your name and you're in the middle of something and you just kind of snap out of it for a second. And you're like, what is this? What am I feeling? Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got away from that particular spot in the house, went away. Right. So, uh, man, it's, it's a great, it's a great story, Scott, and we really appreciate you sharing it. Yeah. So kind of pay attention. You may, like Matt said, you may be a little more sensitive than you think you are. So if you have any more experiences like that, definitely let us know. Um, so our next story comes from Sarah. I have a few stories to tell you. These are the most recent ones I've had, um, beginning of May last year up until last week. I, am followed. I've been followed since I was about five or six years old. Um, no matter what house I grew, um, what house I, I've been in, where I was in the country, it didn't matter. Any time there was some sort of paranormal activity going on all around me since I was a kid. And it's followed me up until I'm in a, uh, till now. And I'm 38. Well, <laughs> I'm 37. I will be 38 in June. So it's been a lifelong acclimation, I guess you would say to, to living with paranormal entities. I've had really scary encounters. I've had not so scary encounters. Um, I've had some that just make me feel very uplifted and kind of awesome. So the first one I'm going to tell you is when I moved into my new apartment, I moved in May, 2017 and Nothing really happened uh, for a couple of months. It kind of takes them a little while to pinpoint where I am. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I'm going along about my business. And it happened sometime in July, I think maybe the second or third week of July. I think it was after my birthday and after the 4th of July. So I'm sure it was the second or third week of July. I went to bed around nine or 10, I was exhausted and I have to get up at four 30 in the morning anyway. So it's, <laughs> it's a struggle to kind of stay up past 10. I turned off my light on a chain as living in the summer, living in Arizona in the summer is entirely inhospitable. So you have to have a fan on, you have to have your AC on, you probably have to have another supplemental fan because it gets hot in these buildings. So I turned my light off with the with the chain switch and I had the fan on and I tried to go to sleep. I roll over to my side and I had just closed my eyes and started to drift off to sleep. That part where you're kind of like you're almost asleep, but you're not. And I distinctly heard whispering on the right side of my bed where my dresser was. I didn't understand it. <laughs> um, it was in a language I couldn't understand, but it was distinctly male and it was definitely there. It said a short sentence or a phrase. I sat up, I pulled the chain, and I immediately started crying because I was scared. So I stayed up that night thinking about it. I slept on my couch with the TV on, with a light on, because I'm a big scaredy cat. And, you know, I, 
I, I got to sleep that night and I wake up and I try to figure it out, but you know, to no avail, nothing's coming along. There is other stuff that has happened. I, um, I ended up staging, uh, smudging my apartment with white sage. I salted all of my, um, my doors and windows because watching supernatural saves lives. I didn't really have anything else happen for a couple of weeks. And then I had an episode of sleep paralysis. I should note anytime I've had an episode of sleep paralysis, it has been due to paranormal activity happening earlier in that day. So I don't get it a lot. I've had it maybe three or four times. And each time has been when something paranormal is hit. So this time I go to bed around the same time, nine, 10 o'clock and I'm facing my my alarm clock at this point, and I hear this growling on the right side of my bed. Again, the right side of my bed. It's at the foot of my bed, and I don't, I can't move. <laughs> and so that fear sets in when you can't move. My eyes are open, and I'm looking at my clock, and it says 11:30 or like 11:34, somewhere around 11:30. I remember that distinctly because I'm staring at it. I'm trying to figure out where this growling is coming from. And it lasts for maybe a couple minutes. And then I'm able to move and sit up and turn on my light again to find that it's only 930. So I was looking at the clock and it was two hours ahead from the time I woke up from when I had that little incident of the growl. There was other things that are going on at work little things like I would, I would quote unquote misplace something, um, or my drawer would open by itself and I would come home and stuff would be not in the right place, not anything huge. It was always subtle, but I always felt like there was something moving things, trying to get my attention. I have a couple of friends who I talked to about this just to make sure that I'm not going insane because you know, it could happen. And we we're talking about things going on and no one could really figure it out. And then listening to Astonishing Legends because, you know, what else am I going to do at work when I'm bored? Other than listening to you guys now when you guys are fantastic. Um, but Forrest kept bringing up the ideas of tricksters. And tricksters have always been in the forefront of my mind. I, I, I kind of like the way they are portrayed in media and like reading about them and things of that nature. So I was wondering if it could happen to be a trickster that's doing all of this. Cause it kind of certainly fits the profile. So I talked to another couple of my friends and, um, one of them who subscribes to the Norse mythology, um, or the, the Norse pantheon of deities, uh, he was like, well, maybe it's Loki. And I was like, well, how do I like appease him? Because if all of this stuff is, I, I was having insomnia like night after night after night. And that wears on a person after a while. I was trying to sleep on my couch, but I only have a love seat. And even though I'm five, three, it's not big enough to, for me to lay down on it. Um, so my friend suggested that I make offerings to him. So I'm like, okay, do you have any idea what I should offer him? He said, no, I don't. So I did a Google search as you do. And when I put in what to offer, you know how it has the automatic pop-ups on Lay Google. The first thing that popped up under that, 
you know, that predictive search is what to offer Loki. And I sat there and I looked at it and I smiled because then I finally figured out who was in my home, who was doing all these fun little tricks and stuff on me and what everything was. And I felt relieved (laughs) that it wasn't some big bad, that it was just Loki, not just Loki, because I digress. So I figure out what to offer him. I gave uh, and I said a couple of prayers to him and I was able to sleep the night through. The next day when I come home, my entire apartment smells like roses. That is my favorite flower. I don't have any rose bushes. I don't get any flowers from anybody and I don't have any flowers in my home. But my entire apartment smelled so strongly of roses. It was in every single room. He was happy. I figured it out. I should mention here, I am a writer of some pretty good fan fiction, as uh, my friends and um, my fans have told me. And I write about Loki a lot, not just for my love of Tom Hiddleston, but for my love of that character. Um he, like I said, tricksters have always had a special place in my heart. And I think that this was Loki trying to manifest himself, saying that he likes the way I write him. And that man who whispered on the right side of my bed was, in fact, the god of mischief. <laughs> and I guess that's just how a mythical Norse trickster god likes to get attention from the person he's being amused for. The whispering I found out was in Norwegian and he was basically telling me to write another story and then I'd be able to get some sleep. He's silly one, that Loki. Um, But after I figured that out, I've been giving him offerings uh, every, I want to say every two weeks or so. It's just a little like shot glass of wine. You know how all the old gods like their wine. And it's gone by the end of the two weeks. Like it is gone. It's not evaporated. It gets sipped. <laughs> um, so I am living with a trickster and I, yeah, I honestly don't mind it. He looks out for me. He protects me. He lets me know he's here. And it's pretty cool. Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy, but there's way too much evidence to the contrary to think that it's just all in my head. All right, Sarah, thank you for your story. Um, first of all, I wanted to just say that I feel you on the getting up really early thing. I myself get up at three forty-five every morning. So I completely understand that how bad that sucks getting up that early in the morning. Um, also we live in the South, so we understand it being hot at night. Yeah. Um, one thing that popped into my head several times when I was listening to your story and I, I listened to it. Um, a time or two to make sure that I got, you know, the verbiage down that you used. And you were talking about tricksters and you mentioned funny enough, forest and astonishing legends and stuff. And, you know, I talked to forest a lot. And so I've, I've talked to him about the tricksters and everything too. So that was one of the first things that popped into my head as well. And I, Really, I just wanted to offer a word of caution because I I don't at all doubt that something is going on. But what I 
my gut feeling is that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Because in, I mean, the way tricksters are, you, you know, you have kind of an affinity for Loki. So whatever this may be, and I'm not saying it's negative, um, because you would have found out already if it was something negative, but whatever this may be knows you and it knows a way of acceptance and the easiest way to be accepted is to pretend to be something that you are a fan of, that you enjoy. And it may just be wanting to commiserate with you in some way or another, but it doesn't know how. And it being a trickster, it's taking its easiest path. And its easiest path is to pretend to be something that it's not. And there's, you know, evidence for millennia of tricksters pretending to be things they're, that they're not to some ulterior motive. And I just have a word of caution, and that that's all, is, you know, be very aware that it could possibly be something that you're not thinking it is. You know, it, it could be not saying, you know, demonic in any way or negative in any way, but it may be something that's presenting itself to you and it not actually be that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I agree with Adam that just based on what you're saying, you know, we were discussing this before we started recording. You know, we feel like you're you're absolutely having some type of experience. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've not really had any personal experience with what I could say was a trickster. Right. And, and certainly not one that I could actually, you know, assign an identity to like Loki. Um. But I've I've done a lot of reading and research into this, and you know, even if it is Loki, you you still have to consider that he's a trickster, mm-hmm. and so you just you know, as Adam said, go about with caution. I think everything you've done up to this point, you know, is is fine, and it seems like it's very innocuous. And it's and it's interesting, and it's it, it's a unique experience to you, and man, I, I think that's that's phenomenal, you know, to to be able to have an experience like this that's that's routine, and 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 so active. Um, just always remember that there's there's an opportunity there, you know, for a trickster to. become not malevolent but uh, much more of a trickster much more true to his own nature right so um you know just you know we would love to hear more about some of the stuff that that happens to you you know if if something you know new or unusual or or you know something changes and you know you don't understand you know, let us know. We we would love to uh, to talk more more about this. And you know, I think you know Adam and I both have have had an interest in tricksters for a long mm-hmm. time because it, it you know the those kind of experiences are, are so so personal and and so unique and 
and, and they really truly make some of the best stories. Right, right. So basically, proceed with caution. If you have any questions or need any advice, hit one of us up. Now, our next story comes to us from Katie. I've been a high school theater teacher for four years at the current high school that I teach at. Um, And in that four years, we've had some interesting things happen in our theater. Now, I want to preface this with the fact that my school isn't very old. It's, I think, just reaching its 10-year mark next year. And the theater is only about seven years old. So there's not a lot of age. It's not like a high school that's been around since the beginning of the the founding of the town um, or anything like that. But for whatever reason, we have some interesting things that happen in our theater. When I started teaching there four years ago, uh, the older students, the juniors and seniors, kept mentioning that there was these two different types of ghosts in the theater. The first one didn't really have a name, but we just referred to him as Phil because we accredited all of the the weird noises, the unexplained sounds, things moving. We kind of said that was our theater ghost called Phil. But then there was another ghost, and I'll talk about that ghost in a moment. Now, whether or not this is a this ghost is Phil is not really the thing. But we, we do know that some things have been happening and maybe it's all just this one ghost and, and it's not really two ghosts. I don't know. But for whatever reason, we separate the different kinds of weirdness that happens in our pack, in our performing arts center. Um, the first one is footsteps. This theater is big and it does make noises because of weather and air conditioning and things like that, but there's been several times um, either me or my students or even some of my coworkers have heard footsteps where there shouldn't be. There's a set of stairs that go up to our catwalk, and it's these metal wrought iron spiral staircase, and it makes a very, very distinct sound when someone walks up or down that staircase. It kind of makes that hollow Blanking metal sound. And we were sitting, me and a coworker were sitting in the audience, and you can hear someone go up and down that staircase if you're anywhere in the audience area or on stage, uh, just because of the way this the theater is built. But we're sitting there and we know we're all alone. Um, it's later at night, it was after rehearsal, all of my students had gone home. We're sitting there chatting, just talking about life when both of us stop and we distinctly heard like three or four steps clink 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 as someone was walking up the catwalk and my coworker, who's a good friend of mine was also kind of a, a jokester and doesn't want to give in to the spookiness of the theater he just yells out and he's like i hope that's a ghost because we just talked about some really personal stuff and uh this could get embarrassing real fast. Nothing. I just kind of laugh it off. But inside, I was like, that was really weird. Because this was just days earlier before that. I had a couple students who I was in 
the the lobby of our theater and I was we were setting up for some event or something like that and a couple of my students walk in and they're like hey do you have someone working on the lights in the catwalk I was like no like was someone up there I'm like I don't think so they couldn't get through the door because it's locked and I have the keys like oh we swear we saw we heard someone walking up there but every time we would look up there we couldn't see anything and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And I, you know, I try not to give in when my students tell me spooky things because one, I don't know if, you know, they, they're over-imaginative teenagers. I don't know if they're, are, you know, hearing things or whatever, but I just kind of, I kind of brushed it off. So days, a couple days later, that experience happened to us. Um, the other stair, we have another staircase in our backstage area so our stage to get to the backstage area you go through a door that has uh, essentially like two hallways and one hallway goes straight back and there's bathrooms off of that hallway it goes up to a costume storage room there's a wood room and then there's our our makeup room and the other hallway goes to doors that go into our scene shop and you can access the scene shop from the stage through a rolling garage door. And um, in our scene shop where we build all of our set pieces is a set of stairs that goes up to like a loft. And in the loft, we store a lot of our furniture that we use for the plays up there. Um, And it's on several occasions, a couple of my students have sworn they've heard people walk up or down those stairs um recently me and a couple students we were it was during a a dance recital rehearsal and the way the stage was set up is that the audience was on stage and we were sitting in the audience area on stage and the garage door to the scene shop was open and was like 50, maybe 80 feet away from us, but it was pitch dark in there. Or sitting in the audience, and this, and the doors on the on the right of the right to us, and we're sitting there, and all of us, all three of us, are like dozing because we had been there since early, early in the morning. It was a Saturday, and these dancers were doing this beautiful dance. It was quite beautiful, but we were like lulling to the music, and we're kind of out of it. And so I swear, and I mean, I was still a good distance away and there was music playing, not super loud, but there was music playing. And I swear I heard it sounded like someone like sprint up the cement stairs that go up to that furniture loft. And I just whip my head and I think I'm going to see like dancers or something, I guess, because the only other people there in the theater that day again it was a saturday where the my two students the dance teacher and the dozen or so dancers that were actually all on there in the theater on stage dancing and i just i look and i'm like i'm not going to freak myself out and i i say i don't want to look over there anymore because it's pitch dark in the scene shop and i just go back to to watching the dance at that point, I'm awake, and I don't, I guess my, my, 
I, I'm like, well, my technicians didn't hear it. I'm not going to say anything. But then a couple, like a minute or two later, the student to the right of me, so the one who's just the closest to the scene shop, he whips his head towards the scene shop. And he just, he like squints into the darkness. And then he turns to me and he's like, did you hear that? And I, and I actually didn't hear anything at that time, but I was like, what did you hear? And he's like, I swear, it sounded like someone was like running into the scene shop and then up the stairs into to the, the, the furniture loft. And I was like, what? Like, so you did hear it. I'm like, no, no, I didn't hear it just now, but I heard it like a minute or two earlier. I was like, oh, that's so weird. And he's like, do you want me to check? And I'm like, I guess, I'm like, don't die. You know, I'm, I'm a dramatic person. I'm a, I'm a theater teacher. I have to be. And he like creeps in there and he goes up the stairs. Um, and of course he does it with all the lights out. I'm like, you could have turned on the lights. There was nothing against turning on the lights. He's like, oh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to scare someone. I'm like, I, you were scaring yourself. He looked up there and there was no one there. And that was kind of weird. All right. Thank you, Katie. And what we did is we cut it off a little bit early on her stories just for time's sake, because she has a lot and there was a lot that happened there. Um, and if you want to hear any more of her stories, we'll probably do them on like a Patreon bonus episode or just at a later date, um, but just for time constraints, we had to, you know, only use a few. Um, but one of the things that popped into my head, she was saying, you know, it's not an old theater. Right. Well, right. here's the thing, you know, and Matt, you'll agree with me on this, is just because a place is old doesn't mean it has ghosts. And just because a place is not that old doesn't mean it doesn't have ghosts. Right. You know, there are a lot of new houses or a lot of new buildings that have a haunting and it's because of either something in the something in the building, the land that it sits on mm-hmm. or you know something around there or an attachment of somebody that lives yeah. there or works there. Yeah, history history of the town. Right. You know, there there could have been um there could have been a, an older building that was on that property, you know, years and years and years ago that you don't even know about. Right. So, I mean, if if you really wanted to to dig like like Adam and I dig, um, it'd be cool if you could find some information about the actual land that the you know that the school and the theater are on, um, because you you might find some very interesting things, and and my best guess is that you will. Yes. And you know it, it may be just historical in nature. It it may there may have been a tragedy there. Um, you know, it, it could have, there could have been just a really old building there, you know, that was centuries old that was torn down and, you know, there's just some energy that's left over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so sometimes Adam and I have talked about this and, you know, you mentioned it when you and Ashley went to Chattanooga where they were doing construction on the hotel mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it just seemed like there was, you know, we talked about when they, when you start doing changes to old buildings or when you start putting new buildings on top of where old buildings were, mm-hmm. uh, it, it awakens some energy. It stirs yep. some things up and, and people will notice because you, you hear some stories about, you know, well, we were, they were doing construction there and these kind of things were happening. Right. And so it just, it, it seems like that, you know, some energy has been stirred up there. Yeah. And, you know, you made a great point 
earlier about theaters mm-hmm. and how they just seem to be magnets yeah. for this kind of activity. And I don't know why. I, I, I don't either. I mean, you know, if you if you look back to, you know, Scott's story, you know, the Ford Theater, you know, there's a lot of energy there. Right. But just theaters as a rule. I mean, when we started looking at at places just in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, yep. you know, is has many, many stories that have come out about it. And there's, you know, a lot of history there, but nothing that would make you say, oh, yep, I guarantee you this place is haunted. Right. But it but it seems to be. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if theaters are, are, are unique animals. Ghosts are, are attracted to the theatrics, apparently. Yeah. I you mean, know, why not? Or, or thespians just draw that kind of energy. Maybe sure. because they're artistic and they're open and stuff, maybe they see it more. You know, you, I don't know. And, you know, a, a big open building that, um, you know, sits empty a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, theaters are, you know, usually only, only have a lot of people in them when there's a production going on. Right. You know, but there's... You know, that's why you'll hear, you know, security staff or janitorial staff will, you know, talk about, well, if you stand on stage and you look out, you know, you see orbs, you know, you see movements and sometimes even complete apparitions. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's just a a lot of great stories come out of theaters. It's just, it's unique and it really doesn't seem to matter how old it is. Right. Absolutely not. So, all right. So let's get into our next one. And our next one is Cat. Hey, Graveyard. So here's my story. So my parents are from Kentucky and West Virginia. My dad's family owned some land in West Virginia. Growing up, a lot of times I'd spend a month of my summer vacation with family down in West Virginia. My grandparents, great-grandma, aunt, uncle, and cousins lived there. It was really private and secluded, so no reason to have curtains covering all your windows. This will factor into my story later. Over the years, sometimes I'd be in vacation Bible school or some summer school type thing with my cousins. I was about 9 or 10 when this happened, so that would be 95 or 96. I was with a group of kids playing. I think it was called Crack the Whip. It was a chain of kids, all holding hands and sort of swinging in a line. Dangerous game. I can see why they don't do that anymore. Anyway, one kid tripped so domino effect and one kid fell on my ankle and sprained it. I'm thinking, great, well, (laughs) my summer's ruined now. I got a pair of crutches and had to stay off my leg for a week. My papa got me set up with a pillow and blanket for the recliner in the living room so I wouldn't have to climb up into the bed. I was having a hard time getting to sleep with my sprained ankle and was trying to get comfortable tossing and turning a lot. I turned to my side and had a good view of the dining room window. And again, no curtains, just a valance. I looked at the window, and there was a pair of glowing red orbs, two red eyes staring at me from the window, and I'm just frozen. It was dark, and all I could see were these eyes. From the ground to where the dining room windows were, I estimate this thing was maybe seven feet tall. I'm not sure. The distance between the eyes was about the distance between a pair of human eyes, maybe a little further apart. And further apart than a frickin' owl's eyes would be. 
But the eerie thing about this is how silent things were. I'd always hear crickets or frogs, you know, ambient country noise. Everything was really quiet. I look at the eyes and they're definitely staring at me and watching me. And I reacted like any kid would. I pulled the blanket over my head and hoped it would go away. After a while, I peeked out and the eyes are still watching me. This continued on for hours, hiding under the blanket and then peeking out to see if the eyes were gone. Never changed position, it just kept staring at me. I eventually fell asleep out of pure exhaustion with the blanket over my head. This never happened again in the week I had to spend sleeping in the living room. I could barely sleep seeing, thinking I'd see the eyes staring at me again, but it only happened that one night. I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries, and I've always had an interest in cryptids and the paranormal. I kind of just shuffled this experience into the back of my mind until years later, just reading about random spooky things, and then I read about the Mothman. What is he known for? Glowing red eyes and being in West Virginia. That That sent chills up my spine. I think the Mothman was staring at me that night. He never moved. Nothing bad happened. I was just stared at all night. I haven't shared the story with a lot of people. I told my now ex about it, and he just laughed it off and said it was probably just an owl. That's not why I broke up with him, but it was a factor. The Flatwoods Monster episode made me want to share this because I could relate to it so much. It was no owl. There were no trees in that spot or anything for an owl to perch on. There were some road reflectors, but they were towards the front of the house, not in the not in the back by the dining dining room window. Is an owl seriously going to just flap and hover in the same spot and stare at me for hours? So, yeah, I think I had an encounter with the Mothman that night. Thank you, Kat. And you're absolutely right. That was not a freaking owl. <laughs> y- y'all all know my feelings on the, oh, diligent owl. It's not an owl. People know an owl. Owl's not going to have bright glowing red eyes. And like she said, hovering in your window in the same spot for however long it stayed there. You know, that, I don't know. I'm glad that she agrees with me on it. You know, that can't be an owl. Oh, yeah. It's not an owl. But um, I love the fact because I brought this up to Adam earlier. And you mentioned the Flatwoods Monster. And the area of West Virginia. And I I asked him, I said, you know, when you do, when you look into the Mothman and you look into the Flatwoods Monster and the area that they occur, I mean, it just seems like there, there might could be a connection. Could be. I mean, if, if, if your knowledge of the Mothman is the movie, then you, you miss some stuff. And, and the key component that you miss is the fact that there's, you know, a, a, a UFO component to the Mothman story that the movie doesn't cover. And, you know, the Flatwoods Monster is absolutely a UFO story. But the description of those eyes, those glowing eyes and how far they are, and the fact that people, oh, it was an owl. Um, there, There's just a connection there. So it, it'd be interesting to... Uh, to look a little deeper and see it. But yeah, you know, a a fantastic story. 
Right. I mean, we you know we enjoyed this one immensely. Yeah, it's the first person that we have had tell us they may have encountered the Mothman. Yeah. So uh, up next we have Heather. My story has two parts, but I'll try to keep it brief. Um, there is a trigger for suicide on this. From childhood, my cousin Corey knew he wanted to be a soldier. We were close. And I never thought about the consequences of him joining the military until he did. He turned 18. He signed up and shipped out. Corey did two tours in the Middle East, and those years were rough on him. And even though he enjoyed most of his time there, he eventually came to the conclusion that he was ready to retire. So in 2008, Corey was living on base here in the States. Late one night, on a cocktail of PTSD medications, he fell asleep at the wheel and careened off the road. We were told he died instantly. I dreamed of him often in the years following. And when I say often, I mean all the time. It reached a point where the oddity was to go night without dreaming of him. But life goes on, right? I met the man who had become my husband got back into writing, which completely took over my life. I made new friends, I scored new jobs, and eventually the dreams faded one by one until Corey was gone. In 2014, my husband and I were content in a new little house in a new little town. I had recently quit my full-time job to try to make it as an author, so things were just really, really good. My husband's a police officer, and at times, he'll work odd hours off-duty for a little extra cash. He was working overnight on Fridays doing security for the local water company. On this particular Friday night, he was still sleeping as I was getting ready for bed. The bathroom is adjacent to the bedroom, so rather than turn on the light, which bleeds around the door, I turned the flashlight on on my phone and set it face up on the bathroom sink to brush my teeth. Halfway through brushing and lost in thought, I happened to look up in the mirror. My face reflected the glow of my phone's flashlight, which casted the rest of the bathroom behind me into pitch black. But in the mirror, over my shoulder, as if standing quietly behind me and observing me, I glimpsed Corey's face. I did a double take, but of course the face wasn't there on the second time. And this could be explained away in so many ways. Lack of sleep, a trick of light and shadows, all the standard you're seeing things excuses. But it gets weirder. That night, for the first time in at least a year, I dreamed of Corey. When I woke the next morning, I didn't remember the details of the dream, but I got a sense of comfort from his presence, especially after thinking I'd seen his face in the mirror the night before. But wait, there's more. In the middle of the night while patrolling, my husband pulled off into our local veterans memorial and he took a picture of Corey's lighted glass block to send to me. I woke up to the picture waiting in my text the next, next morning. Um, it's a gorgeous lighted block that has his name etched on it. Now, I had not spoken to my husband about what I had seen. We hadn't spoken of Corey recently at all, but something compelled him to stop and send me that picture. 
And here's the final piece to this story. Two days later, on October 20th, 2014, my stepdad died by suicide. He locked himself in a hotel bathroom and put a gun to his heart. My life imploded. This story isn't about that. But suffice it to say, I don't know how I survived, and I am still dealing with issues of my own from it now. But one simple thought got me through those first few dark, unhappy weeks. Corey's face in the mirror, his comfort in my dream, and the strange compulsion that sent my husband to his memorial that night. He had crossed through the barrier between this world and the next to tell me he was here for me. I fully believe that Corey, who had always taken care of me as a kid, made himself known to me so I could make it through what would be the single toughest time in my life. I don't have proof, but I don't need it. In my neck of the woods, family looks out for one another, even from beyond the grave. Thanks, Heather. That uh, that's a really it's a really great story. And again, I've I've had some experience uh, with things like this. And I, I shared the story on one of our other other episodes uh, where I I told about my my uncle who was uh, who was disabled and at the end of his life was living in a in a nursing home. And I saw him in a dream come, you know, dressed in white to. Uh, walking up the sidewalk to my, my parents' house. And he told me, you know, hey, I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for everything you did and to tell y'all goodbye. And I found out the next day that he had, he had passed away, you know, during the night. And the, the house that Amanda and I live in now, um, you, can, you can find certain spots in the house at cert- certain times where you can smell cigarette smoke. And, and we don't smoke and our neighbors don't smoke. So there's no real reason, but her grandfather smoked and right up until the time he passed and she really feels this way. And I do too, that this is just a way to say, you know, I'm still here mm-hmm. and I'm with you and I'm looking out for you and I love you. And those kind of experiences are so deep and so meaningful that it it just it it lets you hold on to that memory and that connection that you had you know with a past loved one right and i think so many people don't don't understand that or or ignore it and i think this is really something to embrace um and in fact, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I had some, you know, I had someone tell me that, you know, I was, I was very sensitive to this kind of stuff. And, and so I don't think you have to be, I just think you have to open up your mind a little bit and accept it. Right. Or be, you know, be close to that person in life. Yeah. Um, Cause talking about personal stories, I, I told this story before as well, but when I was driving real early in the morning and I almost ran off the road and could have gone off the ditch and died and all that, it was my granddad's voice that woke me up. 
and I was real close to him in life. And, you know, and so I feel he reached out to save, save my butt there. And so I think it, you know, like you said, you don't have to be real sensitive to stuff no. like that to, to feel it. Cause I'm not, I'm not real. I, I wouldn't consider myself a sensitive, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have that kind of sense, but it's happened to me. And, you know, that, that's just a really, I don't know, that story was, was really heartfelt and it, it really gets you thinking, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So thank you again, Heather, for that. Um, our next story is from Brianne. Okay, so my name is Brianne, and I'm from Georgia. And I was going to tell you um, about the spooky things that happened in my grandparents' house. Um, some of them happened in the late 80s, and then some other things happened in the mid-2000s. Um, I'm going to try to ramble, not to ramble, but I do tend to do that, so forgive me if I do. Um, so basically the first thing that happened to me there, I spent the night at my grandparents' house, and their house was very, very dark. They had what we would probably call blackout curtains now, but they weren't blackout curtains. They were just incredibly thick drapes that literally made the room entirely dark like it could be the middle of the day and you would have to turn on a light to be able to see in this room that's how dark these curtains made the house and I don't know exactly how old I was I want to say I was eight or nine years old and I was still kind of at that age where I liked for there to be at least a little bit of ambient light in the room. Not necessarily a nightlight, but maybe like a clock or like a VCR or something like that to where there was some kind of light. You just didn't wake up in the dark. So I didn't actually spend the night at my grandparents' house that often because it was so dark. So because it was so dark, they would always leave me a flashlight because usually I would have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the restaurant. So I spent the night down there. I went to bed. They were all still up when I went to bed. And at some point in time throughout the night, I woke up because I had to go to the restroom. So I grabbed the flashlight and I went to the restroom. So I came back and I was just about to fall back to sleep when I heard... The only thing I can describe it as is like a swishing noise. And in the closet, there was a bunch of garment bags, like suit bags, dresses, things like that. Things that were in dry cleaning bags or um, bags that you purchase a dress in. And I guess I thought maybe one of those fell or something. So I grabbed the flashlight and I sat up and I was looking in the closet with the light, like something falling here. Um, I didn't see anything had fallen. So I laid back down on the bed and I was on my back and this was a mag light flashlight. And so I don't know if you know about mag light flashlights, but they have that little ring around the top that you can twist back and forth and it will make the beam like larger or smaller. And 
I don't know why, but I am kind of fascinated with how that looks, especially up on the ceiling. So I'm laying on my back. I have one hand on the barrel, I guess you could call, of the flashlight, and my other hand is twisting that little mechanism back and forth to make the beam bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller. So I'm doing that. And I go from making it smaller to starting to make it bigger. And the next thing that I know, it looked like someone took their hand, and I'm seeing this on the ceiling. It looked like somebody was taking their hand and putting it across the top of the flashlight to like make me stop doing whatever I was doing. There was nobody else in this room with me. So it scared me to death. I screamed and I ran into my grandparents' bedroom. And they, of course, were like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was like, I had a nightmare because I didn't think they believed me. Plus, I think I was still kind of unsure about what I saw and like, what the heck was that? Because I know there was nobody in the room with me. So the next day, we're having breakfast. And my grandmother had a way of knowing if you were lying about something. And she was like interrogating me about the night before. And she's like, so what happened last night? And I was like, oh, you know, I had that man. She's like, no, 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 what really happened? And so of course I being like eight or nine years old, I broke pretty easily and I told her the story. So my grandmother looks at my grandfather and is like, great, now stuff is happening to our grandkids. And so I have always really been into paranormal stuff. So that made in my head go, wait a minute, now stuff is happening to the grandkids? What do you mean? So they're like, well, like about a month ago, your uncle got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. And when he was on his way back from the restroom, he swears that somebody very loudly screamed, hey, at him. And he said it was a man's voice and it wasn't my grandfather because my grandfather was asleep because my uncle checked. He turned on all the lights in the house and there was nobody. So he went back to bed and then he didn't tell them about it for like two or three days. So then they told me these stories that I guess it happened to my grandmother first. She was at home by herself. My uncle was off somewhere. My grandfather was at work. And someone knocked on the door. And that made her mad because she hated when people would knock on the door. Because you weren't knocking on the actual door. You were knocking on a glass screen door. And she hated when people knocked on it. And they had a perfectly good doorbell. That's what she would always say. I have a perfectly good doorbell. Why are you knocking on my door? So she went. She opened the door, nobody there. So she kind of stepped out onto her porch and kind of looked, you know, and she's like, okay. So she closed the door and she went back to doing whatever she was doing. So a few minutes go by and there's another knock on the door. And so she, once again, kind of aggravated, goes to the door, opens it, nobody. She walks out into the yard and is looking, nobody. She goes back in the house. She starts doing what she was doing. So this time she hears a knock from another door in their house that's actually like further down their house, closer to the garage. And she's like, why did somebody knock on that door? It's not like easily accessible. You have to like walk through a flower bed and stuff to get to it. So she didn't understand why anybody would walk and go to that door. 
because we didn't use that door. So she goes to that door. She opens it. Nobody's there. She kind of goes out as far as she can. She sees nobody. So she's starting to get reactivated right now. So she goes back and starts doing what she was doing. And you can guess it. Once again, somebody knocked on the front door again. So this time she goes out and she said she walked around the entire house. Nobody was out there. And so she finally got to the front door and she just screamed, I don't know who you are, but this ain't funny no more. I ain't answering the door ever again. And she went in the house, slammed the door behind her, and it didn't happen anymore that day. Well, apparently she, this happened to her, she never told anybody. So there was a day when my grandfather was there by himself. And this same kind of thing happened to him. There was the knocking on the front door, the knocking on the other door, vice versa, and there was nobody there. But once again, he didn't tell anybody about it. So then this also happened on a different day to my uncle, and he was there by himself, and same kind of thing, door knocking, nobody there, whatever. So I guess at some point in time, my uncle brought it up, and he was like, hey, I want to tell you about this weird stuff that's been happening to me. And so he told him the story about the something yelling at him. He told him the knocking story. And of course, like their faces went white because the knocking thing had happened to both of them. So I guess probably his knocking story happened about a week before my flashlight story happened. So my grandparents and my uncle were kind of freaked out and I was kind of freaked out. So my grandmother called one of her friends that was a preacher. And she kind of explained to them what had been going on. And the preacher was like, well, why do you think that this might be a ghost? Because that's what, I mean, who knows what it is, but it's obviously something is not right. You know, like things just don't knock on doors and yell hey at you and try to grab flashlights. And this had never happened before. So something is different. And so the preacher was like, well, is there something in the house that's different? Like, did something get brought in here that's different? And my grandmother kind of thought about it. And she goes, oh, well, yeah. Um, We went to an antique auction and we bought that coffee table that's in the living room. And Russell, my grandfather, refurnished it because it was um, kind of scratched up a little bit so he had sanded it down and he had just sand, uh, he had sanded it down and restained it and then it was in my living room and the preacher was like well do you know anything about the coffee table and my grandmother was like well all I really know about it is that it's old <laughs> we don't know anything about it we got it in an auction usually you don't know anything about anything that comes from an auction and my grandparents did this fairly often, like their entire house, except for maybe the sofas and the TV, all their furniture was antique furniture. So nothing like this had ever happened before. So the preacher was like, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to say a blessing. And if I were you, I would um, get rid of that table. And so he said like a little blessing over the house. And the table did vanish. Now, I didn't know what happened to the table, but the table did vanish. And after that, nothing happened. Thank you for your story, Brianne. Um, 
like before we had to cut some of this out for time restraints and all that. Um, there was another happening that she had, uh, but thought this one was pretty interesting and wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, Matt and I have ran into several times in our research and, and looking at stuff, the haunted object. Um, you know, we've talked about haunted dolls. Um, we've talked about, yeah, hated that episode. That one, <laughs> creepy little thing. That one worried me for days. Um, but there is something about when you get an object from an auction or antique store or something like that, you never know what might be attached, who might be attached to it. Um, and it, you know, a lot of people who get old items like that, they will go ahead and initially have it blessed or cleansed or something just to be on the safe side, you know? So glad that that kind of worked itself out with the getting rid of the table. Um, cause it, it, you know, it could have gotten a lot crazier had you not gotten rid of the table. Right. And you know, old objects have a lot of, a uh, lot of history, and, you know, especially things that are, you know, turn of the century, you know, age wise. And, you, you know, you don't you don't know. I mean, and a lot of times you don't know the history of of something that you're buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always good if, if you do. I mean, you know, if, if if you if you really like antiques, you know, that's something that, you know, a, a good antique dealer will try to find out as much about something, you know, that's a hundred plus years old. Right. Um, you know, newer things, you, you know, you may not have it or the, or the history just, you know, it may not be very interesting, but, uh, anytime you bring something like that into your home, you know, you, uh, you do potentially have the risk for bringing something along with it. Right. And, you know, that's hanging on to it. Absolutely. So we've got one last story for you guys. And this one is from Angela. Hi, Matt and Adam. This is Angela. I am from Wisconsin, and I have two stories for you. The first one, I was about 19. That would make my brother and his friend that was there 16. We were going to play cards, and we were getting snacks and drinks together before we started, and we cut into a a watermelon we had just bought. And when my brother was done cutting off pieces for us, He took the butcher knife and stabbed it into the top of the watermelon. And then we walked into the other room, started playing cards. And about 10 to 15 minutes later, I saw my brother's friend looking into the kitchen and his eyes were really big and he looked a little pale. And then I heard this clatter and the sliding noise. And I looked into the kitchen and the butcher knife that was in the watermelon was on the floor across the room. So we went in there and looked because I thought the watermelon might have tipped forward and the knife fell out. The slice where my brother had stabbed the watermelon was still at the top of the watermelon. The watermelon had not moved. And my brother's friend swears that he saw it come up out of the watermelon and then land on the floor and slide across the floor. Whether that's what happened, I'm not sure. I didn't see it myself. But I did hear the knife hit the floor and slide. The other story was the one that happened the most growing up. 
our upstairs floor. You go up the stairs, and they're very creaky. Anyone walking up the stairs, it's going to creak. You come around the railing, and the hallway is shaped like an L. And at the end of the short hallway is a bedroom, and then there's a 90-degree turn to the left, and then there's a longer hallway with two bedrooms at the end of that hallway. And as a child, probably about once a week on average, I could hear footsteps coming up the stairs, down the hallway, and then the steps would fade. And then about 15 to 20 minutes later, you could hear steps coming back down the hall and down the stairs, and it stops about halfway down the stairs. This didn't really scare me as a kid. Once, I, I just kind of got used to it, you know. But I was about 15 or 16, and my mom told me a story that they had bought the house from this older man. Um, he was a bigger fella, and he had, one night, was coming down the stairs, and one of the stairs was rotted, and it broke, and he fell through into the basement. And he ended up dying in the hospital a few days later from his injuries. And I always found it funny that when you would hear the steps going back down, that they always stopped about halfway. Anyway, those are my stories, and I hope you enjoy them. Okay, thanks, Angela. Hey, that another really, really great story. And I, I'm just, I'm so impressed with how different all these stories have been. But this one, uh, really, it, it, it really harkens to a lot of stories that Adam and I have brought up when we talk about a haunted location mm-hmm. where the, an event replays itself. Right. You know, where that, that whole idea that, you know, the, uh, the stone tape theory that, that a house, an object can, can hold on to an energy of something like a person dying, a tragic death. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, what you could, what you could think is that this is that event replaying itself right over and over and over and over and over. And there's enough energy there to where you can actually hear some of the sounds. You hear the, the footsteps and they stop uh, where this person would have fallen through the floor. And, you know, that that's exactly what it what it sounds like. I mean, we we talked about this with one of the ghosts of the White House. You know, the the, the event re, replays itself over and over and over and over. And, you know, usually around the date, you know, that the uh, that that event happened, you know, we you would you could see it. You could you could experience it yourself. Uh, you could feel the energy there. Um so I, I mean, I think that's really, really cool that that idea that, you know, an event can be recorded and replayed over and over and over. Um, you know, the thing about the knife in the watermelon, I think that a lot of people would would look at that and go, oh, well, you know, the knife just fell and mm-hmm. it skid across the floor. Well, maybe, you know, but. You know, I, I just recently relayed a story on on our Patreon episode uh, with with something similar where an object had actually moved. And, you know, I didn't see it move, but it was obviously not where I had left it. And, you know, that's 
I mean, it just it seems like that's a really, really good possibility that, you know, a knife sticking out of a watermelon was something that, you know, you might a spirit might have had enough energy to, mm-hmm. to pull it out, you know, right. not in a malicious way. It, you know, you think of it, it's, it's just an object and energy passed through it and there was enough there to get it to to come loose and fall and skid across the floor. And, you know, it, it, it makes for a really, really good story when you're telling it to somebody, but when you experience it, you know, you, you can even feel it, you know, you feel that, man, I would just remember when that happened. Right. You know, and you know, I think that is some of the coolest things. And, and when Adam and I came up with this, that was my reasoning behind having you guys present these stories yourselves. Because to this day, when I'm telling some of the stories of the experiences I have, I feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I feel the goosebumps on my arms. It's, it's exciting and it's thrilling. And, and I transport myself back there. And there's just, there's nothing that will do that more than sharing these experiences. And when you've got an environment like the graveyard that's telling you, let it out. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it because we want to hear it. Uh, it. It's giving you guys the opportunity that Adam and I have, and you get to feel that thrill of sharing something that's creepy and spooky and scary and get that tingle mm-hmm. that you felt when you when it happened to you the very first time. Right. So great job, everybody. Adam and I just, we we cannot tell you how you know, number one, impressed with the stories and the experiences that you got to have, but that so many of you would, uh, would take the time to do this. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that Adam and I did. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so please, you know, if you're not already go join our Facebook group, Facebook group, there are more stories that people share in that group than what we, uh, had recorded to share with you on the show. So if you really enjoy this, get in that group. We talk about this stuff. We share experiences. You can see photographs uh, of of people uh, people's experiences where they've snapped pictures of different things. It, it's just a lot of fun, and it keeps you in tune with what Adam and I are working on. It gives you a heads up on uh, what the next episode's going to be. Uh, you know, we drop teasers. You can find uh, access to our merchandise, and just. Get in there and, you know, just have fun. And, and we've watched this group grow. We've watched the show grow. We, we love doing it, and we just want to see it get bigger. And so the more people that uh, join that group just brings more people to the graveyard. Oh, sure. And, you know, like Matt said, we enjoy it a lot, and we appreciate you guys. And, you know, we love the interaction and on Facebook and Twitter and all that. And we, we love doing this, you know, because it's a community. And it's not just Matt and I up here behind a mic talking. Um, well, it kind of is. It kind of is. That, that's part <laughs> of it. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's having the interaction and it's talking things out with you guys, getting y'all's opinions and y'all's ideas and, you know, your stories and everything. So if you enjoy being involved in that, then hop on in there, hop into the Facebook group or on the Twitter, you can find us on Twitter, um, and you know, invite people in. If you have friends that you talk with this stuff about, then get them in the graveyard too. Get them listening, and let's just let's grow the community. 
I think that's a wrap, Adam. It you is. caught me mid drink. Hey, that's what I do. I'm like <laughs> My a, mouth's getting dry. I'm like a waiter. You know, I'm wait till you got a mouth full of food and then I come up and everything okay, sir? Yeah. But <laughs> this is good. All right, you guys, we will see y'all next week.